It's great to see so uh, many new people here, some guests, some guys from OM Life Hope. Great to see you guys here with us as well. And um, we had a, a guest at the nine o'clock service, a bat. So I'm, uh, I was preaching, just getting into full flow, and all of a sudden, this flying creature came and attacked, attacked me, is what it felt like, flew straight past my head. And we had this bat that circled around the building for about 15 minutes and we couldn't get rid of it. And uh, of course the sermon was gone. Everyone's, you know, then someone said, switch the lights up. They don't like the lights. So we switched the lights off. That's fine. Apart from the fact that when you switch the lights off, they come even closer to your face when you're on the stage. So I started to try and preach uh, with the bat flying past me. Uh, and in the, in the end, we escorted him off the building, out of the, off the premises. You mainly, okay, and stuff. And uh, it's funny that somebody said, uh, somebody said cheekily to me, uh, oh, there's a Robin in here as well. Batman and Robin, you get it, yeah? So yeah, there you go. Yeah, it was Andy Hancock, so that says it all. So if you're a guest, you're really welcome, unless you're a bat, and then you're not quite so welcome, all right, but they've gone. Just to say that, this series that we're looking at, um, by choice, looking at the whole theme of building a bigger people, um, our book of the month this month is uh, called Building Bigger People. It's available in the coffee shop. It's very cheap. It's five quid, I think, or something like that. But all the money <clears throat> goes to the third place because this was written by John Glass, who's the general superintendent of Elim, which is the denomination, the churches that we belong to. So some of the themes that, that we're talking about, he kind of unpacks them in different ways here in this book. So that's a great read. Uh, if you want to get hold of that, then you can do that down in the coffee shop. So if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, um, where have you been? Uh, you've probably been at home or you've been somewhere else, overseas or something. Um, but we're looking at this whole series called By Choice and looking at the interaction that um, God had with Moses at the burning bush. Uh, this is kind of like our burning bush because the burning bush represented a moment uh, in Moses' life where he had to choose whether he was going to go back into the desert and live a goldfish bowl kind of life where it's just about him and it's just his family and it's just the sheep or whether he's going to respond to the call that God has for him to go live a bigger life. And we looked at what a bigger life looks like and, and, and is. We looked last week at what a braver life looks like. But it's no good just saying yes to God to the bigger life. It's no good just saying, I'm going to feel brave. There comes a moment when you've got to do something, and that takes boldness. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And... Um, to kind of help us look at that, we're going to look at Moses. We're also going to touch on another character who's not from the Bible. Um, and I wonder if you can say who you think this is. That On Monday, just gone, it was his day, if you like, in the States. He was a preacher, an activist, a catalyst and a conscience for a nation. Who in a very real sense was a little bit like Moses in that he had to choose to respond to God's call on his life to go the bigger life, and it certainly took bravery and boldness, and eventually it cost him his own life as well. Anyone know who I'm talking about? Martin Luther King. It was Martin Luther King Day last Monday, and a couple of years ago, I had a great privilege with some, some other leaders of going to a conference in Atlanta in the States, and um, we had a day off, and so we went along to um, his house, uh, the house where he was brought up, and the church where he passed, and there's some photographs coming up here, and that's me outside Martin Luther King house, like holiday shots here, isn't it for you? Um, but just as it scrolls through, just some images of Martin Luther King, and as I have looked in his life and read some books and read some letters that he wrote when he was in prison, and, and looked at his interaction with the church and how, and how as a believer, you know, and he wasn't perfect by the way, lots of things in his own personal life were far from great, but this man was a man that God called to a bigger, braver, bolder life. And it's one thing to say, yes, I want to do that. But there comes a moment when you've got to do something with what God is calling you to do. Isn't that right? 
You've got to put it into action. And Martin Luther King himself said this, faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. So that's boldness. When you take a step and you can't see the whole staircase, you've got to step out from where you are. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The question I want us to think about is this. What is it going to take for you and I to live, for us to live a bolder life? And there are four characteristics, four things that I see in the life of Moses in this interaction here that we're looking at in Exodus chapter 4. And I'm going to go through these four things and hopefully try and apply them to us. Bolder lives are marked by certain characteristics. The first one is going. All right, A bolder life is a going life. Say going with me. Going, okay. And in Exodus 4, verse 18 to 19, it says, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. There's three characters in this couple of sentences here. One is Moses, one is Jethro, his father-in-law, and one is God. They all say, Go, don't they? Moses says, you know, I've been told to go. Jethro says, go. God then says, go. There's a theme and it's go. Going is vitally important. You do not live a bigger life unless you're willing to go. And what we're going to look at is to look at what does this mean to go. Have you ever sat, have you ever been in a car and you've come up behind another car that's parked at the traffic lights uh, and it's on red. And have you ever sat behind that car and when the traffic light goes to green, they don't move. Anyone ever done that? Okay. And of course, you are all good Christian people, so you just sit there calmly and patiently like me, don't you? In fact, do you, do you know the lights at the bottom of the Hagley Hill? If you're coming from Starbridge, if you're coming from the Foley Arms, if you're local, do you come up to that road? We go there a lot because Simeon, our youngest son, he's in residential care uh, and he lives over there. So we come past that road a lot. And when you come to the road uh, to turn left, it's red traffic light, then it goes green with an arrow. And people always sit there for ages, don't they? Always. And my wife on the front row is always telling me to stop being so impatient and to stop on the horn, okay? Until the other day, I'm sat there at the traffic light. You know what's happening. And it goes green. And I'm sat there, oblivious, thinking about things. And people are the horn behind me. And my wife says, ah, there you go. But there's nothing more frustrating being stuck when the light's gone green. And you want to say to the person in front of you, how green do you want the light to be? It's like, go. Green, it's go. And there's a sense in which I wonder whether God waits on us. We wait on God, and I wonder sometimes whether God says, I'm waiting on you. You know, you can wait on me all you like, but actually, I'm waiting on you. You've got to go. And the thing is, what does going actually mean? What does going mean? See, if you've been brought up in church any length of time, you'll have an impression that going means I've got to leave my job, sell all my stuff, get on a plane, and go across you know, the ocean to another country. Now, that can be what God wants for you, but for the vast majority of people, that's not what going is going to mean. And when Jesus said, go into all the world, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't saying you all have to leave your jobs, you all have to leave your homes and your communities and you head off. That, that's not what he meant. He said where, what he meant was wherever you are, you have to have a going spirit. You have to go where you are. Now, what does going mean then for us? Let me give you a couple of things. What does green look like? I mean, I mean, it's almost like how would our life look like? What would our life look like if, if we lived with a big yes rather than a big no? In other words, if we lived with a green light mentality rather than a red light mentality. There's a great story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14 where Jonathan, who is the, the prince and the son of Saul, this is before David came on the scene. 
And uh, they're fighting the Philistines. And there's a brilliant story there where, where, where it says that Jonathan, him and his armor bearer, are just kind of really incensed. And they think, I think we should go fight these guys because they're attacking God and they're attacking the name of God. And his father, Saul, who was the king and the general, he was wearing a linen ephod, all right, which is basically like a dressy thing. And he was worshipping the Lord and he was waiting. And all of his armies and generals, they were waiting on the word. They were waiting, they were waiting, they were waiting, which is fine. But actually, in that context, that was the wrong thing to do. And Jonathan says these amazing words. He looked at his dad and all the generals sat, sat under, the, under the tree with their Graham Kendrick album, just waiting on the Lord. And what he said this, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. He might not, but he might. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I mean, I mean that was, is that a word from God? God might be with you, perhaps. He didn't know that, but he just thought, you know what? I think this light is green. We're going to go for it. And there's a sense in which you will never have all of the information before you make a go. You'll never have. You'll never see the whole staircase. Going means you're willing to step out when you just see a stair, not a staircase. Let me give you two things what I think going means. Going means going out of your comfort zones. You see, whenever we step out of our comfort zone, our faith grows. I've drawn this before, but I'm going to draw it again. You see, we have a comfort zone, you and I. Imagine Peter on the boat, on the water, if you know the story. He has a comfort zone. He sees Jesus walking on the water. Jesus says, Peter says, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. He steps out of the boat. The minute he steps out of the boat, what he's doing is he's enlarging his comfort zone. Even though he falls, even though he drops, even though he's starting to sink, Jesus pulls him up. When he gets back into the boat, he still has an enlarged comfort zone. All the other disciples, their comfort zone was as small as it was before because they didn't get out of the boat. And every time you and I step out of our comfort zone, we enlarge it and we grow. And some of us, we just need to say, do you know what? I can't see the whole staircase, but I see a stair. I'm just going to step out. I remember the first time I um, ever witnessed, shared my faith to someone on an aeroplane. I don't do it all the time I fly. Um, but it, I was in my 20s and I was on my own in, a, in an airport in Sofia in Bulgaria. And our flight was delayed. And so the whole group of people waiting. And I started a conversation with a, a guy who was about my age, in his 20s, perhaps a little bit older than me. And it turned out that he was a Mooney. Now, if you don't know what a Mooney is, that's not someone that takes their trousers off, okay? Uh, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a cult, basically. And they were there, this was in the 90s, they were there in Eastern Europe looking at opportunities for, for their cult, for their sect. And, and he was a nice guy. We had a great conversation for about two hours. And it culminated with was talking about faith. And I thought, right, I'm going to step out the boat. And I shared my faith with him. And I talked about assurance. And I remember as we walked across the tarmac to get to the plane, and I thought, this seems like a bold thing to do. I said, so you're telling me, and I said it in a nice way, you're telling me that if this plane was to crash, you wouldn't sure that you were going to heaven. And he said, no, I don't think I could be that sure. He said, are you sure? And I said, absolutely. It's great to talk to you. Got on the plane, sat down, thought, oh my gosh. <laughs> thought, now, God, you're not going to do that, are you? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so like... <laughs> But, but that moment of doing that and sharing my faith, for me, was a tentative thing. But once you do that and it enlarges, the next time you think, you still feel a little bit like that. But you, I've done this before and I didn't die. Do you know what I mean? And I can do it again. And what happens is that your faith begins to push you and your comfort zone grows. 
So going means going across, going out of your comfort zones. It also means going across your dividing lines. What do I mean by that? Again, some of you have seen this before. It's always worth repeating. You and I, whether we like to admit it or not, we have a circle. We put ourselves in the circle and we put in that circle people that we're happy to be in that circle. And that's our circle and we draw our circle around the people that we're happy to be with. There are some people in this world, you don't know any, but there are some people who are difficult. You don't know anybody, but there are some people out there who are difficult. And what we do to difficult people is that we vote them out of the house, as it were, and we put them in another circle. And then there are those people who are different to us. And we put them in another circle. They're just different. They look different. They have different backgrounds. They're just different. And then it goes on, there are some people, and we say, do you know what, you are really damaged. You're damaged, you're broken, you're wounded, you're hurt. And if I allow you into my circle, then I also could get affected. So we push them out of the circle into another one. And then there are just those other people that we just think, you are just plain right dangerous. And this was something that I felt God spoke to me about many years ago, this 4D kind of people, and how we push people into these different circles. And as much as there's some things we need to be aware of about that, didn't Jesus come to break the circle? Didn't Jesus come out of his circle into ours to say, do you know what, you may be difficult, you may be different, you may be even damaged, you may be dangerous, but do you know what, the love of God compels me to reach out to you. And if we don't cross our dividing lines, if we don't cross these things, if we don't get out of our comfort zone, we will never go. We will never go, and if we never go, we are never going to grow. One of the things I love about Martin Luther King is just reading some of the stories and the images in this man's heart and mind about what he wanted. This is one thing he said, I want to be the white man's brother, not his brother-in-law. The sense in which him and all all of the African-American people had been pushed by the white white people into a whole different box and circle. And Martin Luther King said, I don't just want to be your brother-in-law, I want to be your brother. And that image of seeing, you know, I want to see my son and your son, a white boy and a black boy playing on a swing together. That, that's, that's bold, isn't it? That's what it's about, crossing the dividing lines, going out of your comfort zone. So what's it going to take for us to live a bolder life? We have to go. Do you know there was a survey done in the UK in 2007? And in that survey, the question was, would you go to church if somebody you knew invited you? Three million people in the UK, said they would go to church if somebody they knew invited them with courtesy. Can you imagine that? If someone they knew that was in a relationship with them invited them with courtesy, three million would go. Guys, could this be the year when you and I, and us as a church, like never before, go out of our comfort zone, across our dividing lines, and invite people to an event? Invite people to Alpha? Invite people to a conversation about our faith? That's what a bolder life looks like. It's not about you being extrovert. It's not about you being not who you're not. It's just about saying, God, you've put so much within me. I need to take that. That needs to go. Amen? That needs to go. That means I need to cross. I need to step out of my comfort zone. The second thing, Mark, of a bolder life is serving. Exodus 4 verse 21. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. He took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt... See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. 
So what God says to Moses is, okay, you've got everything and there's the whole staff of God thing. And I haven't got the time, but if you were here last week or get the podcast, you understand all that. And he says, go back now and live it out. Perform, in other words, he says. Now, I don't mean like an actor on a stage. Live it out. Serve. Do the things I've called you to do and I've asked you to do. Doesn't tell him to say anything at this point. He says, just go and serve it out. Go and live it out. And that's a real mark of a bold life is serving. You see, I want to suggest that many believers, we say we want to serve God, but only in an advisory capacity. We're very happy to advise and to consult. What we're not so happy to do is to get our hands dirty and to serve. And yet Moses, when you look at his life after this moment, begins to serve God and he serves the people. And he serves two million people, even when they criticize him, even when they turn their back on him, even when they rebel against God. So much so that God steps in and says, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses says, no, you're not, because they're your people. Because he's a servant, because he's got that mark of a bolder life. Martin Luther King said, everyone can be great because anybody can serve. Everyone can be great because anybody can serve. We live in a massively obsessed with greatness culture, don't we? Celebrity status, we want to be great And yet guys like Jesus and Martin Luther King and others come along and Mother Teresa and say, you can be great, but you're great because you serve. And it may be that some of the greatest people on our planet are the ones that you and I will never hear about. They're not necessarily the Martin Luther Kings or the Mother Teresas. In fact, at the last service, I honoured a couple of people publicly. And I want to do that again today. And they didn't want me to do that, but I did it anyway because I had the microphone and they didn't. So there you go. But basically, Martin and Rachel Bennett, some of you will know who they are. And uh, Rachel and Martin have been leading our children's work on a Friday night for 20 years. And they handed that over um, at the back end of last year. And I wanted to do something publicly. They didn't want me to do that. I understand that. And also, they're still involved in the ministry, so I get that. But when I looked at their lives, and many of you will not know who they are, even though they've been in this church a long time, because they're quiet, their background, but faithfully, consistently serving Jesus and serving children every Friday night for 20 years, whatever the weather. And I just think, wow, that is amazing. That's immense, isn't it? Immense. And how many hundreds of kids, including my own, have come through their hands and their care and their attention over this last 20 years. Everyone can be great because anybody can serve And you know, when we serve, we reflect the character and nature of God. When we serve, we please God. You know that thing in New Testament, well done, good and faithful servant. We all want to hear that. When we serve, we feel alive. You know, one of the reasons that I I like reading things outside of, uh, if you like, uh, the Bible and outside of even Christianity, is that when I read things out of other areas, if there's truth there, all it does is confirm what the Bible's already said. Because all truth is God's truth. So when I read something and I quote research or something, don't, and you, some of you will think, oh, that's not out of the Bible. Listen, chill out. You do not need to be worried about that. If it's true, it's said it in the Bible thousands of years ago before. So medical research and psychological research will tell you that people who are generally uh, have a higher self-esteem, generally ha- are less anxious, generally have a higher sense of happiness, one of the big factors is that they serve other people. Now, that's the medical and psychological world. But the Bible said centuries ago, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So all the medical and science world doing is just taking a few thousand years to prove what the Bible said ages ago. If you are feeling down, if you are feeling discouraged, if you're feeling flat, if you're feeling empty, can I say to you, one of the best things you can do is to serve. Because when you start serving other people, you start to come alive. 
in how God has created you to be. And when we serve, we, we impact the world in such an amazing way. And we experience God's power working through us. Let me show you a little, a little picture to help you. In Isaiah 63, there's some verses there that tell the story about Moses centuries later. And this is what it says. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them, who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown? And there's, a, there's a, a phrase in there where it says, it talks about God who sent his arm of power to be at Moses' right hand. So, so I just want you to see this picture. So Moses uh, with the staff, remember? The staff of God now, not the staff of Moses. Same staff, a whole different thing. Leads the people out of, Israel, uh, out, of Israel, out of Egypt, comes up to the Red Sea, and the Bible says that he stretched out his arm, and at the moment when he stretched his arm out, God stretched his arm of power alongside him. Now, whose arm opened the sea? God's. But here's the interesting thing. You see, what happens is that we often think that to experience God's power, we need to experience God's power and then we'll step out in it uh, to a degree. But actually, when the Spirit of God is already within you, then what you need to do is to step out. And the principle of God is always that you step out and you experience God's power. God waits for us much more than we often wait for Him. And this is the problem for many of us. That we don't experience God's power because we don't reach out our arm. But isn't this an amazing picture of Moses? Did he feel spiritual? Probably not. Did he feel powerful? Probably not. Did he feel, wow, probably not. But what he did was God said, reach out your hand. He says, do you know what? I'm serving you, God. I'm serving these people. I'll feel like a little bit of a muppet, but I'm going to do it anyway. And he reached his arm out. And at that moment when he reached his arm out, God then sent his arm of power alongside him. Many of you who've been overseas with me will know that I always use this picture with any team that I'm on, always. Because I often found that when you're out of your comfort zone, when you're in different situations, you think, oh, I can't do it. But I tell you what, you can do it. And as you reach your arm, God reaches his arm of power out. And the amount of young people, especially I've seen, who've come to me and said, it's amazing when I did that and, and this is what happened. And I say, yeah, because you reached your arm out. You activated the power of God to be released through your life. That's what happens when you serve. That's what happens when you get out the boat. That's what happens when you stretch out your arm. So what is it going to take for us to live a bolder life? We're going to need to serve. And not only are we going to need to serve, we get the chance to serve. That's a privilege, isn't it? And it may be that you're newer to this church and you don't know how to serve here in this church and you don't know what your spiritual gift is or your passion. You don't know what opportunities are available and we'd love to help you with that. And we just, some of the guys in the church have devised or a, a, a course. It's only a two evening thing called Gifted to Serve. Just an opportunity where you can talk about how God has made you, what God has put within you and how we can try and help you find a place where you can serve. And you can reflect God through that and you can experience God's power. So just watch out for that and it should, the next one should be just after Easter. So keep that uh, open. Okay, the third thing. So we've got going, we've got serving. And the third thing that's the mark of a bolder life is speaking. Exodus 4 verse 22. Says, God says, Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. So he's saying go to Moses. Then he's saying, serve, just live it out. But then there comes a point when you've got to speak. And the bolder life is characterized by the way in which we speak. Yes, we serve. Yes, we go. But there comes moments when we have to speak. 
Moses has to speak up and to speak out. Part of the bigger life takes bravery and boldness to speak. I love this quote from Martin Luther King. Our lives begin to to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Isn't that an amazing quote? Our lives begin to end the moment we become silent, the day we become silent about things that matter. What's it going to take for us to live a bolder life? We have to speak. Can I just say, we have to speak and let's speak. We can choose. Let's speak words that bring life. Yeah? I know how vicious and out of control my tongue can be at times and how much that can bring death and every time I'm aware of that I think oh God I didn't want to do that please get a hold of this this lethal weapon you put in my mouth but when we can choose when we get a hold of that and we can bring life with our words that's amazing and the Bible says how can we you know um, how can we love and uh, how can we spur one another on towards love and good deeds well often by the way we speak and that's not just here in church but tomorrow morning in your office You are the believer there. You have that power working within you. You can choose to be the life giver in your office by the way you speak. When you're in a shop, when you're in a... My wife is much better than me at this. I'm amazed sometimes that Alison will will, will often say to someone in a shop or in a restaurant or somewhere else, you're doing a great job. I've just really been impressed by the way you've done this. And I think that brings life to people, doesn't it? Because so often that's not what people get. We can bring life by the way we use our tongue. We can also bring truth Interestingly, in 1 Corinthians 14, 19, the context is um, they're having a conversation. Paul is about speaking in tongues in a church, in a worship gathering. And when you hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying here, Paul, who speaks in tongues a lot and is not down on that at all, he said, I would rather speak five intelligible words that bring truth and clarity than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. He's not speaking against tongues. He's saying, let our words bring truth and clarity in situations. That's really important. And then let's speak words that bring faith and hope. You know, the church, generally, we're known to speak out against, about what we're against, aren't we? So, unfortunately, we've had to speak out about the redefinition of marriage recently. So, and, and again, we end up sounding like we're just against something. But we're not against something. We're for something. We're for marriage as God intended. We're for strong societies. We're for family. We're for hope. We're for aspiration, aren't we? We're for opportunities for our young people. Let's be a church that speaks out positively, bringing hope into our community and into our situation. Amen? Good. Before we go to the final mark, (laughs) there's a couple of verses in the story here which nobody preaches about. And when I read them over again, I thought, God, why on earth are these bits in the Bible? But I'm not going to skirt around it today, even though I want to. Okay, I'm going to tackle it head on. Listen to this. So all that happens, context, all that happens, Exodus 3, Moses burning bush, God speaks to him, calls him to a bigger life. Moses, loads of excuses, got to deal with the stuff inside of him, bravery. Then God says, go now, boldness. As he's about to go, this is all good, as he's about to go, this is what it says in Exodus 4 verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. What's that about? But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. Makes obvious sense, doesn't it? You all know what that's all about. It's clear as crystal, isn't it? Isn't it? It's one of those bits where you think, what? You know, what is on earth is this about? And um, as I've looked at this and thought, I'm not going to duck this because it's right in the Bible. There's got to be a reason why it's there. God, hasn't there? That was out of desperation. There's got to be a reason. 
Let's look at the context. We've got to understand the context. Even then, it will still mess with your head, okay? But understanding the context is vital. Here it is. God chooses a symbol as a symbol to represent the covenant commitment relationship between him and his people, okay? So in other words, I'm going to put something in place so that you and I have this symbol to remind each other of the relationship between us. I am your God and you are my people. God chooses circumcision, I wouldn't choose that one. If it was me, okay, and I was choosing a symbol to mark our relationship between God, what's wrong with a nice logo? What's wrong with a badge? A friendship bracelet, do you know what I mean? A printed t-shirt, a mug, circumcision, but that's the one that God chooses. It's like that's what's in place. Moses knew it. And within that, there were a whole prescribed set of the way you do things. And Moses didn't do that. For some unbeknown reason, Moses and Zipporah did not circumcise their child on the eighth day like God told them to. And we don't understand all that because of our context. I understand that. But get to this. God said, this is what I want you to do. For some reason, they didn't do it. And so God gets angry and God's about to kill him. Again, really difficult to get our heads around. But is there a deeper point here that we can draw out? And could it be this? That even though God calls Moses to a life that's bigger and braver and bolder, and even though Moses chooses it, and even though Moses is equipped, and he's a skilled, gifted leader who's going to become the greatest leader in, in, in Israel, in the Jewish history, he's going to be known as the greatest leader of all time is Moses in, in the Jewish, Jewish uh, psyche. Could it be that even though he's all of those things, God's saying, but you know what? I'm not going to bend the rules for anyone. Just because, Moses, you're a leader, just because, Moses, you've responded, I am not a respecter of persons. I've laid this thing out. You've chosen that you're not going to do it my way. Let me tell you this. Nobody bends the rules. And you might think that's really harsh. That's really difficult. But I tell you what, this is where we've got to understand. God is God and we're not. And I remember when you were a kid and uh, your mom or your dad uh, or both of them would say something and you, you didn't want to do it. Anyone been there? <laughs> and you'd say, like, why do you want me to do that? And so then they try and explain. And then you'd come back and say, well, this doesn't make any sense. That's just ridiculous. In the end, would one of them say things like this? Because I said so. Yeah? And you want to say, what kind of an answer is that? Do you know what I mean? And in our modern outlook on parenting, we think, oh, it's really bad parenting. You must explain and the child must and all that. But do you know what? God... Saying, because I said so, is an appropriate response. And we can argue with him, and he'll explain stuff, or he might not. But he can do that because he's God and we're not. And the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. And the sad and tragic thing is that many, many believers who are like Moses, and they say, yeah, I'm going to, and they give their life to God. Many leaders do this. They give their life to God, and God uses them, and they get a, le- a level of responsibility and influence and, and power and all of that. And something in their life is wrong. And it's not how God intended it to be. And it's like God saying, I ain't going to bend the rules for anybody. Now the New Testament says that we don't live with circumcision of flesh any longer. The Bible says it's not the circumcision of the flesh, it's the circumcision of the heart. Could it be that there are issues within my heart and your heart that God says, if I'm going to live a bigger, braver, bolder life, God's not going to bend the rules. Why should he? He's God. I need to surrender to him. Final thing, and then we're through. There's a fourth um, mark of what it means to be a bolder life. And it's not, 
uh, in the text as such, but it is in the life of Moses and the journey through the wilderness. And I think it's as such an important mark of the bolder life. And that's giving. That's giving. There are plenty of scriptures uh, as, as you journey through the whole uh, of, of the story in the wilderness. The one that absolutely blows my mind is Exodus 36. Let me read it to you from verse 3. This is, this is a community of people who are bigger and braver and bolder in this moment in, in, the, in their experience. It says they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. In other words, he's saying nobody else needs to give anything else. That's amazing. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. They had to hold the people back from giving because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Isn't that amazing? That's like the bit that pastors of churches read every week. You know that, don't you? That bit there, just say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and we visualize it. But that moment of people giving so much to the work of God that the guys said, we don't need any more. That's amazing. That's boldness. Can I tell you why giving is such an important indicator of whether you're living a bigger life? In fact, I want to be really bold now. If you're not giving in a God-honoring way, I want to suggest that you're not living a bigger life. Because giving is the one critical marker, indicator, that shows whether we really believe what we say we believe. We can sing the songs. We can do all kinds of stuff. We can, we can work. We can even serve. We can do lots of things. But I tell you what, where it hurts you the most, where it cuts the most, <laughs> wrong analogy there with the last one, where it hurts the most is your pocket. And that's the indicator of whether you really believe that all that you have is a gift from God that is entrusted to you and you're not an owner, you are a steward and it all belongs to him or whether you don't believe that. It's an indicator of whether you really do, really do believe that you can trust God with your finances and your future as well as your soul. Giving is the indicator, I think, one of the major indicators of a bigger a braver and a bolder life. So how much should we give? Depends how you're asking the question. If you're asking the question to say, well, how much should we give? How much can I get away with and and still kind of please God? That's the wrong motivation. If you're saying, God, I want to do this. I want to give in a way that honors you. How much should we give? Well, let me say that's between you and God. But let me give you three words to help you in that process. First word is this, priority. The Bible teaches about giving as being a priority, as in a first thought, not a a last thought. Not a leftover, but a first thought. Second word is um, percentage. You know, I think the Bible teaches that that percentage giving is a really good, God-honoring, thoughtful way to begin this whole process. For me, I've always thought that the tithe of 10% of my income is a great way to start. You might decide, oh, I could never do that. That's fine. Some of you might say, actually, I could give more than that. That's also fine. You see, what it's about is that when you choose a percentage, then you'll say, actually, this is now, not me just thinking, can I do it this month? Can I give God on God? But I'm going to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a commitment that's bold because I trust God. Percentage, priority. But there's a third P to think about, and that's progressive giving. So we might start with something, but actually, God might lead us on an adventure down this road of being the bigger life where actually we could give more to God and to God's work. And one of the, my heroes uh, when it comes to this is John Wesley. 
many of you will know John Wesley three centuries ago was the leader of the Methodist um, movement and a revival preacher, an amazing man. Uh, when he first began his ministry, he gave, uh, I think, 2% of his income to, to God through the local church. He had hardly any income. But that grew to 10%. But then what happened over the next few years was that his income increased. And here's the interesting thing. Statistically, if you have more income, often as people get more income, they actually statistically give less percentage to God. But that's another interesting thing. But what John Wesley did was as his income came in, he kept his living expenses the same. So actually, throughout his whole year, his level of giving to God grew and grew and grew. And at the end of his life, he was giving away 98% of his income. Wow. That's progressive giving, isn't it? It starts as a priority. I'm going to think about this first, not last. Secondly, a percentage. I'm going to think about, God, what is the percentage you want me to give back? But then I'm not going to stop there because there could be a progressive sense where we say, this is an adventure of giving and I want to do this as you lead me. That's a bigger life. And you might say to yourself, wow, that sounds great, but you know, what am I going to do? Where do I go with all that? Well, just bear with me. What is it going to take to live a bolder life? One of the things is giving. And it may be that even today, what you could do is you could go to the welcome area at the end, talk to Rachel, you could get some information about how you could begin that process and that journey here with us. Or it may be that you are already giving, but you will say, do you know what, I want to reflect on this. Because I know, and we've done this recently in our, own, in our own lives, that actually you do something and you forget about it almost, you carry on. You need to kind of revisit, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you're calling me to do in this response of giving? So, we're going to be going, people, yeah? Okay, that's two of us, that's going to make an impact. Um, we're going to be serving people. We're going to be speaking. We're going to be giving. Okay. How do we do that? What do we do now? You may be sitting there thinking, whoa, you know, this is like, and because I put Martin Luther King, that's kind of set the bar quite high, hasn't it? And I mentioned Mother Teresa, and I mentioned John Wesley. So that's fairly high bar. So what some of you will be saying is that, what on earth? I'm never going to be able to be as brave as Martin Luther King. I'm never going to be able to serve like Mother Teresa and be that sacrificing. I'm never going to be able to be that giving like John Wesley and be an evangelist like him. What am I going to do? Obscure verse from the Old Testament time, all right? Taken out of context, but bear with me. God will forgive me. Hopefully you will too. Genesis 31, Laban answered Jacob, the women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine? So all I want to say, what can I do today? See, what happens is that you and I get intimidated by things that are out of reach. So what we often do is we then get paralyzed by what we're intimidated about. Isn't that right? We say, oh, I can never do that. The question isn't that. The question is, what can I do today? Here's something to think about. I will do today what I can do to enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today. You with me? Say it again. I will do today what I can do to enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today. So you might say, I could never give like John Wesley gave, 98% of his income, sacrificially, keeping my living expenses low, all through my, I could never do that. That is way out of the reach. But what can you do today? What can you do today to make a start? You might say, I could never serve in the way that Mother Teresa did, giving her whole life for the poor in Calcutta. I could never do that. But what can you do today? What can you do today? You might say, I can never witness to people like John Wesley did and, and do all that evangelism stuff. I could never see hundreds come to Christ. But what can you do today 
Because what we do today will determine what tomorrow is going to look like. And that's a choice, isn't it? That's a choice. What I want to do as we finish is I want to ask the band to come back up. And, you know, I, I think the way that Luke and the team led us in worship was so great today. And, and that sense of the whole picture of Christ that came through that. You know, the ascended, the glorious one. And then the one that came on the cross and was resurrected. And then the one that meets us in intimacy, where we sense his breath on our neck. And when I look at Jesus, I look at someone that was going. I look at someone who was serving, who was speaking, who was ultimately giving of himself. And I look at that and I think, God, we want to be like that. And we can be because his power is at work within us. So what can you do today? What can you do today? Let me just finish before I pray with you. You know, Hudson Taylor was an amazing man who was a missionary out in China. And again, I don't want to confuse you now. I'm not saying we all have to go to China or anything like that. But he used to interview people to go out to, to, to go, to go out to the mission field. And bear in mind, the mission field isn't China. The mission field is where you live. Okay, so let's keep that image in our mind. And he interviewed this one guy who was a one-legged teacher from Scotland. Sounds like a joke or something, doesn't it? And he interviewed this guy and he said, why would a one-legged teacher from Scotland want to go out to China? Do you know what the guy said? Because the two-legged men aren't going. That's what he said. And Hudson Taylor said, you're going. And then sometimes he used to sit down and interview people and he'd say, what's your motivation for going out on the mission field? What's your motivation to go out and, 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 to, and to speak and to serve and to give to people who don't know God? And some of them would say, my motivation is Jesus told me to do it. It's good motivation. Some of them would say, well, because there are millions of people and they are dying without Christ and they're, they're going to go to a Christless eternity and I can't bear that. It's good motivation. And they say all these different things and Hudson Taylor would say, they're all good motivations, but none of them, none of them will sustain you when it gets difficult. In the testing and the trial times, none of those motivations will sustain you. The only motivation that will sustain you to go is the love of Christ. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us. It's Christ's love within us that compels us to be bigger, braver and bolder, isn't it? It's not just our effort. We choose to step into that, but it is Christ's love that compels us. So what I want you to do is I want you just to close your eyes for a moment if you're able and willing to do that. And I want you just to think about what you can do today. And for some of you, if you do nothing, then it means that you just haven't heard the word or, or you're, fully, you know, you're fully going and you're fully speaking, serving, and you, that's fantastic. But for some of us, and I suggest for, for most of us actually, that there will be a sense in which we can respond to this today. Can you start to play, Ben, please? So what I want to ask us is just to pray. Please, can we just be quiet for a minute? And I just want to ask... That we just listen to the Holy Spirit. What can I do today? What can I do today? So perhaps you're thinking of someone that you can witness to, that you can invite, that you can step across a line or out of your comfort zone. Perhaps some of you are thinking about an area you can serve words that you use giving what can I do today 
that will enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today by your power and by your strength. So Lord, I just want to pray now that you by your spirit have spoken to us. God, I really pray that we'd have ears to hear. God, we'll never be transformed by what we hear. We'll only be transformed by what we hear, what we receive and by what we apply. So God, hearing your word this morning is not enough. We need to be those that do it. And God, I believe that there are some people here who've heard your word. I believe there are some people who want to who want to activate this, who, who want to go, who want to serve and speak and give and who want to be those bigger, braver, bolder people. And I believe that there are those here who you've already spoken to about what they can do today and they know it and they can respond to it. So Lord, I pray that by your spirit now, you would just encourage them and give them that courage to move forward with that commitment that they've made, that we would be people that take your message, that take your love, that speak your truth wherever we go. God, we pray that we would be a group of people that are salt and light impacting this world and this community for you. Because you, Lord God, your love compels us. Your love drives us. Your love pushes us, God, in that gentle but totally amazing way, out of our comfort zones, out of our goldfish bowl lives into a bigger, braver, bolder life. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.